Amen. Amen. Let me greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a blessing to be with you this morning um, as we go through God's word. Um, it's a blessing to see your faces as well and to see a new face in our midst. Um, let me welcome you, uh, Tinashe. Uh, Tinashe, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, we were with your wife last week, and so it's a, it's a blessing to be with you. Even today, may you feel at home, get to know him after church, and as we fellowship with uh, coffee and tea, probably biscuits, I don't know. Um, and uh, seeing Mama Piri, it's been a while since we saw them. Um, she was not feeling well. We praise the Lord that she's here, and uh, she's uh, feeling well today. And uh, yeah, continue praying for them, uh, the Piri family, keeping them in your prayer and in your hearts. We continue with God's word this morning from James. We are in a series um, um, in James calling it um, a practical Christianity, and it runs concurrently with our Bible studies. So um, I, let me encourage you to also attend Bible studies in which we um, dive deep into discussing, especially applicationally, um, applying it in our lives and, and seeing how the word of God is working in our hearts. Um, um, continue to, to pray that God would use God's word in your lives as well. So James, we are now in verse 4 of chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 4. James chapter 1 verse 4 and we're going to look at God's word this morning still on the subject of responding to trials. Responding to trials. Let me read from God's word as we hear from him this morning. James chapter 1 verse 4, but for the sake of context, let me read from verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4, the passage that we will be focusing on. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, faithfulness in preserving us and keeping us, bringing us once again to fellowship with one another around the singing of praise to your name and worshiping you through hearing your word. Pray that you speak to our lives and draw us to yourself, that you drill us and you thrill us and you skill us with your word to honor and glorify your name. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. In medicine, there is a procedure that is referred to as an intramuscular injection. This is when a doctor or any qualified medical practitioner uses a syringe to inject the patient for immunization or for any, um, anything combating a particular sickness. Apparently the trick in receiving this type of injection is to relax your muscles. In that way, although there will be pain during the procedure, it will not be severe. But if you stiffen your muscles as if to resist the injection, the, the procedure becomes really painful than it was intended to be. 
In the same way with Christians, when we are in the uh, when we are uh, tried, as we saw in verse uh, three last week, when we are tried by various kinds of trials, and and we are being matured in the faith, when God uses trials to test our faith to produce in us steadfastness or endurance, um, the best trick in responding to the hand of God at that particular time in, in various trials is by resting in his sovereign care, knowing that he, he, he works out everything for our good and the glory of his name. Romans 8 verse 28, right? The, the, the more we fight, the more painful a trial will be. But the less we fight, the less painful it will be. I'm not saying it won't be painful. But I'm saying that we learn through enduring it. James here in this passage, after telling us in verse 2 to count it all joy, to respond with all joy, with a joyful attitude to trials, gives us a reason in verse 3 to say we, 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 we rejoice, we, we count it all joy because we know what God is doing, right? We know what God is doing. And, and if you look at verse uh, 4, there's a conjunction end. By this conjunction, he's adding to, 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 to this fact, to saying, because we know, because we know that this is how we must respond in that knowledge to what God is doing in our lives. Let steadfastness have its full effect, verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We saw three um, godly ways of responding to trials. The first is we respond with a joyful attitude. The second, with an understanding mind. And thirdly, this point that we see in verse 4, we respond in a godly way to trial with a submissive will. Right? With a submissive will. Look at verse 4 again. He says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In this verse, James responds to the question of what the attitude of Christians should be as the testing of their faith produces steadfastness in verse 3. He, he says that we, 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 the, the attitude must be, as should be, a submissive will. James is mindful that there are many ways of responding to the testing of trials which can hinder uh, our growth or, or maturity in Christ. A lot of time we pray for maturity, right? We pray that God would mature our faith, would strengthen our faith. But, but we should be mindful that maturity will not fall magically from the sky. God in his wisdom uses trials to mature and grow his children. The, the, the psalmist testifies of this very fact, of this reality. In Psalm 119, verse 9, um, Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 91, right? He says that all things to God, he says to God, all things are your servants. Now, we don't need to apply so much logic to that. He says all things are your, serv your servants, including trials, right? In other words, even trials serve the good purposes of God in maturing his children. John Newton, um, the, the writer of the famous hymn, 
that we, we all know, amazing grace, right? Um, captures this idea very well. In one of his hymns, not amazing grace, this hymn is called, I Asked, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. Let, let me give you a background of, of this, of this uh, hymn. So he was with William Cooper. Um, John Newton was working with William Cooper, and, and they were composing a hymnody, right, a hymnal. Um, as, as they were composing a hymnal and, 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 and working on it, a, a big hymnal, um, William Cooper became um, depressed. He fell into depression, and to a point, it drove him to madness. And as, 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 uh, as um, John Newton was thinking about it, he thought, it's as if God is trying everything to afflict me. He's doing everything in his power to afflict me. But he came to his senses as he gained a perspective of God was doing in his life. And, and this is what he, he wrote in this, um, I asked the Lord that I might grow. L listen to it. I'm going to read. It's, it's, it's seven verses. Uh, listen as I read through this hymn. For, uh, verse 1 of the hymn, he says, I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Verse 2 of the hymn, It was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Look at verse 3. I hoped that in some favored hour, at once he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Verse 4. Instead of this, instead of answering my prayer in this way, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Verse 5. Yes, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I'd skimmed. Blasted my goats and laid me low. Verse 6. Lord, now he responds to the Lord. Lord, why is this I trembling cried? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? And the Lord responds, "'Tis in this way, the Lord replied, "'I answer prayer for grace and faith.'" The last verse, verse 7, "'These inward trials I employ "'from self and pride to set you free "'and break your schemes of earthly joy "'that you may seek your all in me.'" He prayed before the Lord to grow and he thought the Lord would, would at that moment, uh, give him the growth that he needs. But he says the way the Lord answered that prayer was exposing the sin that was in his heart. It was afflicting him and bringing trial into his life. And the Lord says, it is in this way that I answer prayer. That at the end of the day, you may find your all in me. You see, when we pray, just giving you an example, when we pray for patience, it is not patience that falls magically from the sky, but finding yourself in a traffic jam, 
or a queue at home affairs. A situation that brings out your impatience to the surface. That's how God, in his wisdom, calls you to repentance of your, of your impatience, of your impatience. God answers prayer not as we expect, but as we need. Does that make sense? When we pray, we are expecting God to answer our prayer for the things that we're praying for in the way we are praying for. But because God is all-knowing and omniscient, he is, he is uh, all-wise, knows what exactly we need. And when we pray for maturity and spiritual growth, God knows how exactly we are to grow and, and mature in the faith. And so he answers prayer not as we expect, but as we need, according to his wisdom. In the same way here, with Christians who, are, who want to be matured in the faith and, and want to be more and more like Christ, but they don't want to go through trials. You see, without going through the fires of trials, you, you cannot be a golden Christian. You cannot mature in the faith. There are no shortcuts to a matured Christian life. Think about it. For, for gold to be of value in the market, it has to be purified in the fire until one who is purifying it is satisfied with the outcome. Right? In the same way, God will take his children through the fires of trial to strengthen their faith, to, to mature them in Christ's likeness. James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Let steadfastness have its full effect. This shows that they should not fight or oppose the trial in their life, but submit to the will of God in, in fulfilling his, his purpose through that trial in their lives. It, it suggests that they are to bear without the resistance or complaining, but with a submissive will. Whatever pains, whatever sorrows, whatever losses, trouble, or disappointments that may come into their lives. When he says let, he says allow. When he says let, he says submit. Submit to the hand of God in the midst of that trial. But I don't know what you're thinking as I say this. Probably there's an objection in your mind. Um, and I must... I must um, I must explain here with caution. Submitting to the hand of God in trial does not mean not going to the doctor when you are sick or praying that God would heal you. Or it does not mean that you don't look for a job after being dismissed at work because you refuse to compromise or to be involved in an unethical practice. It does not mean not taking responsibility, right? But uh, so, so, so submission does not mean laziness or abdication of responsibility. But it means 
in the midst of the trial, recognizing and seeking the will of God to prevail, even when the sickness after praying, after going to the doctor, does not go away. Or, or when the job that you're looking for after you were dismissed does not come. It means that even in that moment, you are still submitting to the wisdom of God. You're still submitting to the hand of God and seeing God as wise in that trial. It means depending upon the Lord. Praising him even in the storm. So many people oppose trials that they go through. And as a result, they lose the plan of God in shaping them and building up their faith. Instead of submitting to God's will, they resist and oppose it. They go around looking for shortcuts out of the trial. They, they go to which doctors, right? They visit which doctors or follow after false teachers who promise them a breakthrough out of their trial. Prophets, false prophets who profit from them. Let me, let me say this. If you are to get one thing this morning, get this one. The only breakthrough through trials is going through them. That's the only breakthrough going through them, seeking the will of God in the midst of the trial. What James is saying here, when he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, essentially what he's saying, he says, don't waste your trial. See it as an opportunity to rejoice in God's sovereign plan for your life, knowing that he is building up your faith. You see, it is very important to, to think right about trials. When you face trials, do not beat yourself up thinking that, there is a, that it is there because maybe you don't pray enough or you don't fast enough. But, but see it as the scriptures explain it, as a testing of the faith. This will help you respond with a submissive will. And we see when we, when we do a study of uh, people who, who, who responded with a submissive will to the hand of God in trial, we, we see how, how these men were, were used of God, how these women were used of God. Let me just give you two examples. Right, in the New Testament, of people who displayed a submissive will when they faced various kinds of trials. Actually, uh, let me give you three. The first one, I just want to cover the women and the men, right? Uh, 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 so let me just briefly go to Mary. Think about Mary, right? Um, God reveals himself to Mary, and he reveals his plan to his plan of redemption for all the, 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 the world. He reveals himself and says to Mary, gives Mary the, the, the plan and says, this is what is going to happen. 
when, when, when the angel visits Mary in chapter 1 uh, of Luke, and um, he says, let me read from verses 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be, and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And over his kingdom there, there will be no end. And, and Mary said to the angel, How will this, this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is also, has also conceived a son. And, in the, and, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Look at, look, listen to what Mary says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am, your, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me explain this. Just think about the culture in first century Palestine. Think about the honor and shame culture. Think about the kind of shame that Mary will have to go through right? No one is there to witness the angel speaking to Mary. Even the man who was betrothed to Mary did not even witness that, right? So Mary is with the Lord, is with, in the presence of the Lord through the angel, and the angel is giving her the game plan, right? The game plan to bring the Savior into the world and save those who are sinners Come into Christ. And, and as, as she hears the game plan, she thinks about the honor and shame of her culture. What kind of shame she will go through for being a virgin who, 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 who get, will give birth out of wedlock. The kind of shame her family will put her in. The kind of shame the community will put her in. The kind of shame she will probably... Um, um, get from the betrothed, the man who betrothed her by divorcing her. But we know he divorced her in secret. He wanted to divorce her in secret. But still, in the midst of thinking about that shame, she submitted to the will of God. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. She saw that God's plan her life was greater than what other people are going to say. Secondly, we see the Apostle Paul. This was supposed to be the first. The Apostle Paul, who, who was mightily used by God, he, he was shown version, visions, of, uh, visions and revelations of the Lord. He, he was once caught up in the third heaven. I don't know what that looks like. He, he was once caught up in the third heaven. In order that he would not be prideful, God used the trial to build Paul into being like Christ. Listen to his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Listen to the Apostle Paul. 
He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, from becoming prideful, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. The key, um, key term there is was given me. Right? He's saying God was actively giving me this thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that I should, that it should leave me. But he said to me, listen to these words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. At first, he tried to resist what God was doing in his life until he understood the purpose for which God was, what was doing in, in the midst of the trial. He found, himself, he found himself at the end of the day saying, I am content, listen to this, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, persecutions and calamities. He says, I'm content with these things. He submitted to the will of God in trial. Well, we see these two examples, but I want to show you the ultimate example, the perfect example of submission in the midst of a trial. And that example is the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, the, our Lord, under the weight of, of, the, of, of the trial that he was going through, when he looked at his journey to the cross, when he thought about the pain, when we look at his life in the Bible, we see the sorrow that he experienced as he thought about the cross. You see, the cross was, was the most painful experience that one could ever face. That there was no word in the, in the, in the English or the word in the Greek to explain the cross. Even no word in the Latin to explain the pain of the cross. The, 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 actually, the word that was coined to explain the pain of the cross was the word excruciating. The word excruciating simply means pain out of the cross. Pain out of the cross. It was without a doubt, it is without a doubt that it was the most stressful day of his life. Uh, let us look at the events of his life leading to the cross and his response. Right? With the cross in view and considering the shame and the pain of the cross, he, he did not change his mind or, or become unwilling. But Luke chapter 9 verse 51 tells us that when the days drew near, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Right? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. The, the, the revised version says it more forcefully. It says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, he did not run away, but he yielded himself to God's plan. 
Just think about the thoughts that went through his mind as he looked at Jerusalem. He knew that he would not be received with joy, that he would be received with blows and be taken to his death. He knew that they would not receive him with praises, that those who were actually saying Hosanna will be the ones who are saying crucify him. And he knew one important thing. He really did not have to go. He really did not have to go. You see, if Jesus looked at Jerusalem and thought about all those things and said, not today. I'm not going. I'm not doing this anymore. He was justified. Are you thinking about this? He was justified. He was in the right if he decided not to go to Jerusalem. But he went anyway. He yielded himself to God's plan. Matthew chapter 26 verse 38 to 39 it says it, it tells us um, a bit about what was going on in the heart of Jesus Christ it, it, this is what we read then he said to them as he says to the disciples my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me and going a little further he fell on his face and prayed saying my father if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew chapter 26, verse 42. He goes again to pray. It says, again for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He sought above all the will of God. At that moment, the most important thing in his mind, the most important thing in his life was the will of God. The problem with us is that we are able to pray, my father, if it be possible, let this, let this cup pass away from me. The problem is we end there. We never say, nevertheless, if it be your will, let it be. Let your will be done. We pray, let this cup pass from me. Every time our prayer is, 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 is geared towards saying, Lord, I don't want this trial. Let it pass from me. But we don't say, but your will be done in this pain, in this sorrow, in this tears. Let your will be done. Lord, I will submit even when I feel the pain. I will submit even when I go through sorrow. I will submit even amidst the grief. Let your will be done. I don't want it, but let your will be done. I want to submit and be in your will. We hardly pray that, right? We hardly pray that. We, we continue to see the life of Jesus Christ with regards to the will of God. When he approached, when he was approached in, in the garden, remember when the, the, the soldiers came to take him? When he was approached in the garden and Peter drew his sword to cut off the ear of Malchus. Right? Peter was ready to fight for him. Peter was ready. He was, he was ready. He, in, in, in the contemporary uh, um, um, urban language, we say he had his back. 
right? He was ready to, to fight and die with Jesus Christ. He pulled his sword then, and he was a man of action. He showed that this, I, I, I'm ready. He cut off the ear of a man. Jesus Christ looks at Peter in Matthew chapter 26, verse 52. He says, put your sword back in its place. For all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he at once sent more than 12 legions of angels? But how then, listen to this, how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And John also adds to this narrative, he adds in, in, in John chapter 18, verse 11, he says, Jesus said again, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What Jesus Christ is essentially saying to Peter here, he says, I am not helpless. I, I'm, I am I, I'm able to stop what is happening here anytime I want. I can summon, I can call more than 72,000 angels of war in a second, just like that, to incinerate and destroy these people. But I want my Father's will to be done. I want the scriptures to be fulfilled. Remember that he was about to face pain at the hands of sinful men. But he looked above and beyond it. My brothers and sisters, friends, no matter how bitter the contents of our trials are, although they cannot be compared to those of Jesus Christ, let us face the cup as from the Father's hand. Let us respond with a submissive will. Stephen Smith, Stephen Smith in his book, The Jesus Life, explains why it is necessary that we should be submissive in sufferings. Listen to what he says. He says, to grow in the Jesus life is to grow through suffering, not around it. We grow through suffering and receive the, the lessons that only suffering can teach us, no matter how hard we might try to avoid, ignore, or run from its grip. Suffering has a way of pressing our clay, pinching off our false assumption, and smashing beliefs that are simply not true. When the potter's wheel starts, start willing, and we sense suffering is just ahead, we can either scream to get off, which rarely happens in a good potter's studio, or we allow the hands of suffering to do what only they can do, reshape our lives for the better, albeit different forms. Close quote. You see, the words of James should ring in our hearts whenever we go through the fires of trials. And we immediately want to get out. We immediately want to run away. Let steadfastness have its full effect. The idea of full effect is, in steadfastness is, is, is steadfastness that continues faithfully. The, the, the result of this, he says, is that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. You see, through the trials that God brings in our lives, his goal is to make us perfect. From the Greek word telos, which, which means to mature or, or fully grow and, and develop. 
the, the, the word occurs only twice in the New Testament. This word telos occurs only twice in the New Testament. It occurs here in James, right? And it also occurs in Acts chapter 3, verse 16, when a man who was lame from birth was healed in the name of Jesus. And, and Peter says to this man, remember, uh, to, the, to the people who, who, who witnessed the healing of the man, he says to them, and his name, by, by faith in his name, by faith in Jesus' name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the, the man this perfect, that is the word, perfect health in the presence of you all. In, in other words, what is happening here, after Jesus healed this man, his health was perfect. There was no sick bone in him. He was as the next result of the full uh, he was as the next result of the full effects of steadfastness tells us he was complete he was lacking in nothing in his health he was no longer lame you see some christians give up before steadfastness or perseverance uh, by faith gets a chance to go full term in developing them they, they never become all that god wants them to be they, they give up before God's trial can teach them what he wants them to know. They leave the race before they cross the finish line because the pain was too great. You see, the problem is we measure things by how we feel rather than what is best for us. But those who struggle out of their problems miss the opportunity to mature by faith. Rick Holland says that when, when God matures our faith, uh, our Christian character with trials, it, it is like watching the wonder of a butterfly emerging out of its cocoon. Listen to, to him as he explains the story. He says the story of a young man, of a young boy is told who witnessed this amazing transformation. When the butterfly started to break out of its cocoon, the boy noticed how hard it had to struggle to free itself. The process was very slow, and in an effort to help, in an effort to help the butterfly, he reached down and widened the opening of the cocoon. Soon the butterfly emerged out, of, emerged out but its wings were all crumpled and shriveled. Something was wrong. The butterfly, which should have spread its wings and flown away, could only helplessly crawl around on the ground because its wings never fully developed. What the boy had not realized was that the struggle to get out of the cocoon was essential for the butterfly's muscle system to develop. In a misguided effort to relieve the God-designed struggle, he had crippled the butterfly from ever being the beautiful creature God created it to be. He continues to say, the trials of life are much like the cocoon of the butterfly. God uses the struggles that we go through to develop our, our, our spiritual muscle system. He develops our spiritual muscle system. Let me conclude by saying this. 
we must realize that it is necessary that we go through trials. And when we are facing adversity, let us not work against God, but to cooperate with him in the midst of his trial in our life. His desire is to mature us in the faith that we become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Let us submit to him as he works in our lives by, by, by using various kinds of trials. And above all, let us learn from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ provides us with a perfect example of what it is to submit to the will of God under trial. But it doesn't end with an example. It ends with what rejoices our hearts, right? Think about it. Think about it. What if the Lord did not submit to God's will? There would be no forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross. There would be no death for three days in the grave. There would be no triumph over the grave by his resurrection. And obviously, because there is no resurrection, there would be no justification before God. We would not be made right with God. And, and Paul presses this point even further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins. Oh, the, the trial, the trial that uh, we, we never want to go through that trial again of having to face God with our sins. Christ saved us from the ultimate, ultimate trial of hell. We can bear the trials in this world through him by his spirit knowing that we have a greater, greater reward. And we'll see that in verse 12 in a few weeks to come. Amen. Lord, we bless your name. We thank you that you are God. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that you know our need more than we know our needs. And you use us trials in your wisdom to mature us in the faith and when you do that Lord amidst the pain, amidst the sorrow, amidst the heartache, the grief may we be those who are submissive to your will in Christ's name we pray Amen